Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Um, it's great to be here, it really is. Thanks for coming tonight, especially on Halloween night when you're probably all wondering what's happening to your home and all the rest. So welcome and uh, thank you for coming on this particular evening. And uh, I think you're aware there's going to be opportunity for you to ask questions as well as me to try and give some sort of answer on this, this theme. It, it's a big issue and it's a very real issue. So my day-to-day has involved oh, a few activities. One of them, spending time with a man I've known for a number of years. I've known his three daughters. Um, One was killed when she was just walking on the pavement some years ago, but they were thick in snow, and uh, a car going down the road skidded and hit her, and she was killed. But today I was talking with this man because the youngest of the three daughters died last week, aged 50, 51 maybe, and... um, and he was saying, you know, I'm 90 now. Why not me? Why, why, why couldn't my daughter live and me die? I've had my life. And, and it's a very real issue. Now, he was a Christian and his daughter was a Christian. And there was real comfort there knowing that uh, there was a strong belief that this girl would be with the Lord in heaven. But nevertheless, it's a real issue. I heard Justin Timberlake on, on the radio just before uh, this event tonight, and he was saying, I'm getting used to the ageing process. I'm feeling comfortable with it. Well, he's only 30, but nevertheless, he's recognising he's not as young as once he was. And then after this event, I'm going to go and visit somebody in a psychiatric ward. I got special permission to go late at night because I was here first, but who attempted to take their life just a few days ago. Life and death issues, they're all around us. And um, we can be glib and just say, oh, does it really matter? Well, I'm going to argue, yes, these are big issues. They do matter. And the, 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 the sort of questions that we have today are not necessarily uh, novel and new. Let me quote from Euripides. He lived about 400 years before Christ. He was a Greek dramatist. He had a, an austere character. He was known as being quite reclusive, very unsociable. He used to sit in a cave and look out at sea for hours on end. But listen to his poetry. If, now what a way to begin a poem. If any far off state there be, dearer to life than mortality, the hand of the dark has hold thereof, and mist is under, and mist above. And we who are sick of life and cling on earth to this nameless and shining thing, for other life is a fountain sealed, and depths below us are unrevealed, and we drift on legends forever. So Euripides, facing the fact that we're going to die, and yet something within us wants to cling on to immortality and to life. I'm, uh, I'm a great lover of um, Victorian art, One of the very famous paintings of that sort of era was done by artist Henry Bowler. He painted it in 1855. It's called The the Doubt. Can these dry bones live? Now, um, if if you've got any sort of art book, you'll often find this picture. It's, It's depicting a young woman. She's in her 20s. She's leaning against a newly dug grave. Behind it is a germinating chestnut tree, 
And, of course, the implication is that the roots are soaking up the nutrients of all those bodies that have been buried there. Inscribed on the gravestone are the words, I am the resurrection and the life, but clearly with the puzzlement that there is in this woman's face and in her eyes, she's not so sure, grieving the loss of her husband, but very uncertain as to whether he really is living after death. They're, they're good issues. They're big issues. And even sometimes those of us who believe in heaven, I don't know, we want to cling on to life. Bertrand Russell, the philosopher of a few years ago, whose famous statement on this sort of issue was, when I die, I rot, tells rather mockingly the story of one particular religious man who asked somebody else at the dining table, um, what would happen when he died? And this man really didn't want to answer the question, but um, he was pursued by the questioner. And eventually the answer came, I suppose I shall inherit eternal bliss. But why do we have to talk about such a miserable subject? (laughs) Paradoxical that we believe, some of us, that there is heaven and yet we want to cling on to life. So do we really believe it? 3,000 years ago, Solomon, King Solomon don't know whether you know much about him, regarded as one of the wisest men of history, man who gave us in the Bible the book of Proverbs, where we have literally thousands of Proverbs, gems of wisdom that came from his mind, dropped from his lips, and we have them in Scripture. He also gave us the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, in that book, he says, look, I, I tried everything to, to find fulfillment, to find pleasure, to find meaning. And you have it described as you go through this rather dour, dark sort of book to begin with. He he says, look, I I went for leisure and pleasure. I went for sex, for food, for work. I I, I had enterprises. I built. I I constructed. I, I, I tried to stretch my mind and go for every intellectual pursuit that there is. I had materialism and wealth and everything. And, and each time when he thinks about these things, he says, but it's all vanity, What's the point? You lose it when you die. You can't take it with you. What is the point? And initially, when you start to read this book, there is great despair. But then eventually, it's only a short book, but eventually, having seen things from under the sun, as he puts it, from Earth's point of view, he begins to see things from an eternal point of view. And he has a wonderful piece of poetry again, just towards the end of the book. Now, you have it written out, and I'd, I'd like to just go through it, if I may. It's, it's, it's one of those Bible passages that when you start to look at it, you think, what on earth is this all about? But this is the wisest of all men, King Solomon, third king of Israel, and he's reflecting on the meaninglessness of life apart from God. Because of the conclusion, he comes to this particular piece of poetry, prose, whatever. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. So he says very simply, look, if you want meaning in life, remember God and do it when you're young. And then he gives us two reasons why we should remember God when we're young. Let's look at them. Remember the creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say... So he says, look, remember God while you're young because you're going to grow old. And he describes old age as days of trouble. I once heard old age defined as a time in life when actions creak louder than words. And this is about what he's going to say. Days of trouble and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. 
I also visited a lady, my mother-in-law, as it happens, 87 years of age. Um, She's a dear, sweet old lady. She suffers from dementia. You can have a a most interesting conversation with her, fortunately. But two minutes later, she's back to the subject you were talking two minutes ago. It's interesting again, but it gets a little bit tiresome time after time after time. There's no no Alzheimer's. She she can think, but she loses what she's been thinking about. And... uh, Is there any pleasure in old age? She was 87 two days ago, but is there any pleasure in that for her? Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. So this is old age when everything is becoming dim and the clouds return after the rain. You know, where's the sunshine? Where's the brightness? Where's the joy and the light of life? That's what he's saying. Remember God before all this starts to happen. And then poetically, symbolically, he begins to describe an old person. When the keepers of the house tremble. Well, if I understand it correctly, the house is the body. And the keepers of the house, well, if you fall, you put out your hands and you you keep, you look after the body. If you're in a fight, you use your your hands. But, But what happens in old age? Well, there's a trembling. Remember God when you're young, because eventually you'll be old and the keepers of your house will tremble. And the strong men stoop, you know. You you start to lose the strength of your legs and you become bow-legged and you stoop. And the grinders cease because they are few. I don't think you need me to interpret that for you. I have a friend who, who delights to say, all my, an old man, all my teeth are my own. I bought them on the National Health. And the grinders cease because they're few. This, this old man, because he's losing his teeth. And, and those looking through the windows grew, grow dim and start to need glasses. Though I needed those when I was very, very young. But anyway, and the doors to the street are closed. Perhaps that just means, I don't know, it's hard work to talk. You don't want to talk anymore. And the sound of grinding fades. He does like the idea of teeth, doesn't he? Perhaps he liked his food. When men rise up at the sound of birds. Strange, isn't it? When you talk to really old people and say, oh, what time did you get up this morning? And they say, half past four. Now, if you're a university student, I need, need to just explain. Half past four in the morning exists. And it's not the last thing at night. It is actually the start of it. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, and you think, why did you get up so early? What was it? Well, I couldn't sleep. I just, you know. And, and so they rise up at the sound of the birds and all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights... And of dangers in the streets. Isn't this an older person? He's just describing it. Well, when the almond tree blossoms. Well, of course, the blossom of an almond tree is white. And I suspect he's talking about the hair turning white. And the grasshopper drags himself along. Yeah, even the, 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 the slightest weight is a burden. Or, or maybe it's to kneel is, is difficult. I don't know. And desire no longer is stirred. So for the older person, ambition and, and appetite, maybe desire for romance, for sex, etc. No longer stirred like it used to be. And the man goes to his eternal home. Ah, so there's a second reason, he says, why you should remember God. Not only are you growing old, but you're going to die. When man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets, and now he figuratively, poetically describes death, remember him before the silver cord is severed. Perhaps that's the cord that joins body and soul together. Or the golden bowl is broken. Maybe that's the brain has gone. Or the pitch is shattered at the spring. Perhaps the, the fountain of life has just gone. Or the wheel broken at the well. The heart just drives you forward, gone. 
And then see what Solomon says 3,000 years ago. As he describes death, he says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. In other words, there is more to life than just a few short years when our body exists. There's more to us than a sort of conglomeration of chemicals covered with skin that keeps us going for how many decades and then it's all over. No, 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 no. Because when the body goes to the ground, the spirit returns to God who gave it. So Solomon saw death as a certainty, but he also saw eternal existence after death as a certainty. And throughout the Bible, it's quite interesting because you find a sort of promise of eternal life and a warning of eternal punishment for those who reject the things of God. This is from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then Jesus. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Apostle Paul. Our Saviour Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then again, the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. So, the Bible makes it very clear that, yep, we're growing old. And yes, we will die. But when people say, have you heard the news? He's gone. It's not just gone to the ground, but gone into eternity. Why do we believe this as Christians? I want to give three reasons. First, I'll call it reason. That refusal in our minds to accept that the here and now is all that there is. I think most of us would, even if we're very sceptical about uh, things religious and the things of God and Christianity, I think most of us accept that there seems to be a sense of something more, the, the lump in the throat, the chill in the spine, the, the sense of wonder, the, 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 the idea that maybe God intervened, maybe God did something, the sense of perhaps there is more to life than just three score years and ten it's easy to dismiss that when all's going well, but when you stand at the grave of a loved one and you see their body buried or you go to a crematorium and you, you, you know exactly what happens when you leave, something within cries out and says, there must be more. Now, that is not sufficient evidence in itself, but nevertheless, it's as if God has put eternity in our hearts. Alexei Kosygin was the president, premier of the Soviet Union. This is in the communist days. And of course, the USSR was not only communist, but thoroughly atheistic. And then his wife died. She was buried in a solemn state funeral. Alexei Kosygin was the chief mourner, as you can imagine. And the service was televised across the nation and across the world. And viewers saw something quite perplexing happen because as the coffin was about to finally disappear from sight, Kosygin, the premier of the USSR, this Soviet atheistic 
state. Lean forward and place on top of the coffin an evergreen branch, the Russian symbol of everlasting life. Now, why would he do that? If there is no God, if there's no sense of eternity, no hope of something more. What an odd thing for the world's foremost atheistic leader to do. But when the rubber hits the road on matters of life and eternity, something within us says, oh no, there must be more. But there is greater evidence than that. Keeping to the letter R, if I may, just so that you might, I don't know, have it fixed in your mind as to what I'm saying. Not only is there reason, but I'm going to go to the, the evidence for life after death from the resurrection I don't know how many times people have said to me when I've been discussing these things, oh, nobody's ever come back from the dead to tell us. Well, of course, actually, that's wrong. Christians believe and have tremendous evidence for the fact that one person not only said he would die and be buried, but that three days later he would rise from the dead. There were literally hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw the risen Jesus. Now, there was no doubt that he was dead. He was put to death by professional executioners who wanted to verify that he was dead. Otherwise, they were going to break the bones in his body so he'd no longer be able to breathe. And very quickly, he'd be gone. But no, they they said he's dead. And then he was taken down. He was tightly wrapped and eventually put in a tomb that was sealed and guarded. And for three days he lay there. But on that first Easter Sunday morning, the stone rolled away, not so much to let out Jesus, but to let us look in and see he's risen. The clothes were there as if there was still a body in them. Wrappings around his head separately, then wrappings around his body, but, but, but there was no body there. And then he appears to various people, two people walking, two women, two men. Ten disciples, eleven disciples, a crowd of over 500 people later on to the Apostle Paul. No doubt he was dead, and yet he shows himself risen, alive. Some people said, well, maybe his body was stolen. Uh, it's, it's hard to understand how that could be. There was a guard around the, the, uh, the, 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 the tomb, and uh, how do you get past the guard? How do you roll away this huge stone? And then what do you do? Uh, and why, why would you leave the wrappings in the tomb and take, and I want to be respectful, but you take a dead, naked corpse through the streets? Why? Why would you do that? And what are you going to do then? Jewish people would never cremate a body, so are they just going to bury him somewhere else? Well, why do that? And, and, and who is the lookalike of Jesus who has nail prints through his hands and feet and uh, a wound in his side and speaks and acts and does the sort of things that Jesus has been doing before? The miraculous. Who, who is this substitute? You say, well, maybe it was just a lie. Maybe, maybe they wanted it so much they imagined it. Maybe they, they dreamed it up just to sort of fool the people. But then the, the tomb was guarded. Why didn't the Roman and Jewish leaders who were very antagonized by the news that this Jesus had risen from the dead, why didn't they say, hey, look, you, you, you Christian people, come over here. We have the body, roll away, roll away the, the stone, look in, we have the body. They couldn't do it. There was an empty tomb and somebody was showing himself risen. And would so many Christians die for what they knew to be a lie? Some of them brutally killed, all the 11 disciples who said he'd seen him risen, died for that. None of them said, oh, no, 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 we just made it up. There is no explanation when you start to examine it very, very carefully, except that Jesus, who said he would die and be buried and rise from the dead, did indeed die and was buried. 
and rose from the dead. Now it is this risen, living Jesus, the one who died, who spoke most authoritatively about life after death. In fact, it's, it's interesting. There are, as I've said, inklings of heaven and hell throughout the whole of, uh, of the Bible. And yet, the one who spoke most about heaven and hell and eternity was Jesus. And time and again, as you read through those gospels, those sort of biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find him speaking about eternity. He loved greatly. And so he did warn about hell. But he spoke about heaven and he spoke about people who have put their trust in him and found forgiveness of sin being given a place in heaven. Because the Bible teaches that heaven is not a reward, but it's a gift to be received. We, we, we read a few moments ago about the righteous going to eternal life. Righteousness isn't something we work at. It's actually something that's received. In other words, because Jesus has died and carried our sin, we can be forgiven. But when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, not only has our sin be laid on him 2,000 years ago, but Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, his purity, his holiness is the real word, is sort of credited to our account. It's as if I take off a dirty load of clothes and put them on Jesus and he puts on me a gorgeous, shining robe of purity and righteousness. That's what happens. So the righteous, those whose sins have been forgiven and have received this gift of, 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 of all Jesus' goodness put on our account, they're the ones who will enjoy him throughout eternity. Why do I believe in life after death? Well, reason says there's something more, but, but more important than that. Resurrection. The Jesus who lived, who died, was buried, and rose is the one who spoke with such authority about life after death. But then there's a third reason, and I'm, again, trying to keep this letter R in your mind. It's the word revelation. It's what I was saying earlier, that Jesus not only died and was buried and rose but he is God's sort of word to us not just a figure in history who did amazing things all those years ago but actually he is God revealing himself to us through a person now we believe he's also revealed himself to us through not just the living word but the written word through the bible so it's not just us conjuring up, I wonder what God is like, I wonder how he could... No, 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 God has spoken. We open up the pages of the Bible and we're, we're seeing what God says. We, we listen in on what Jesus is saying and we're listening again to what God is saying. God has revealed himself. He's made things clear. So what is heaven? Uh, some time ago I was speaking at one of the churches that's been behind uh, this particular series of events and I, I showed this greeting card that I bought some time ago. I, I think it's horrible really, but let me show you it. Heaven is the new hell. That's all it is. Nothing inside, not much to cheer you there. Except heaven is the new hell. And, and at first I was so annoyed and irritated by it, but then I thought, do you know, if many people knew what heaven was really like, maybe it would be hell to them. A place of purity, of holiness, if I can use that word again. A place where there is no sin or sorrow or sickness or suffering, no disease, no death, but a place where 
Jesus sort of reigns supreme, where he is the atmosphere. And if we suggested to certain people that, yeah, this is heaven, all eternity with Christ, there's work, but it's work without weariness. But there's praise. There is an atmosphere of absolute godliness. I can imagine many people would say, Phew, that would be hell to me. So maybe I'd misunderstood with my initial irritation what this was really saying. Maybe it's true. Heaven. Absent from the body, the Bible says, present with the Lord. So yes, this, this body will go to the ground and that's it. I, I went just about two weeks ago to have a bit of my body amputated. I didn't weep when the barber swept up the hair that he'd just cut off. I didn't think, oh no, that's me he's about to throw away. Because the body is important, but it's not the most important bit of me. You know, I suppose I could live without an arm or a leg or whatever. I don't want to try, but it, I, I could. But the body is something that, yeah, lives, but then it, it dies, it rots. But the real person, the real me, the real you will live on either with God or cut off and lost from him. It's amazing how much care we take of our bodies and how little attention we give in our lifetime to sort of look after the thing that really counts, that matters, that lasts for eternity. I don't know whether you know Anne Bronte's book, Tenants of Wildfell Hall. I love the Bronte's writings. and um, it's, a, it's a harder book than, say, Jane Eyre, which has to be the best, but then we won't go down that line. But, it's, um, uh, but nevertheless, Anne Bronte, it's a story of a, a, a lady called Helen. And she's a godly lady, but she's going through all sorts of inner turmoil because as a Christian woman, she has high morals, but she's struggling because of her drunken husband. He's given to cruelty towards her. He's given to debauchery towards others. Loyalty wins the day. She sticks with him. But one day, he's drunk, I don't know, his body into ruin. He knows he's dying. And he turns and pleadingly, this, this wretched husband, and he, he, he's been awful to her. He just says, oh, Helen, I wish you could come with me into eternity and plead my case. But actually, that is the Christian message. Not that Helen can do it. Not that, you know, a a vicar or whatever, I can do it. But that Jesus has done it. He has gone to a cross. And on the cross, he carried our wrongdoing. The things that would keep us out of heaven. The things that have cut us off from God. The things that would condemn us to hell were all laid on Jesus and hanging on the cross. He paid with his own blood, with his own life for our sin. When he ascended to heaven, back to the place where he'd lived with his father throughout all eternity, he's there to, as it were, plead the case of those who come to him for forgiveness. So when a person dies... Yet the body goes to the ground, but the spirit goes to God who gave it. And the condemnation that should be mine 
was carried by Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, and I will be accepted by God, the, the, the judge, if you want. The gates of heaven, if you want, will open to such as me, not because I'm good enough, but because I've received what Jesus has purchased for me on the cross. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what I've done. No, the Bible speaks about God bringing every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. That should send a shiver down my spine, except that Jesus has carried my sins. And I believe as a Christian, he's done the same for you. And you need to trust him for forgiveness, for new life, for a new start. God has come on a great act of rescue. He's come to reach out to us. He's come to... Deal with that which would condemn us by dying for it. He's come to offer new life, eternal life that begins now. The moment I ask him to become my Lord and Savior, he comes to live within me and he gives me something of the the life of God in the sort of innermost being of me, of you. And it lasts for eternity. So he says, I'll take you through life. I'll take you through death. And I'll take you to be with myself forever in heaven. Does that mean that I'm careless about life? No, no, no. I I don't know that I could have said this some years ago. But I do try to stick to the the speed limit. You know, I I try to drive carefully. I, I, I try to look after myself as best as I can. But I think if a doctor was to say to me, Roger, sit down. I've got some dreadful news for you. I think I would say, all right, I know where I'm going. I'm safe and secure, not because I'm good enough, I know I'm not, but because Jesus is my friend, my Lord, my Saviour, he will take me to be with himself. I've received the gift of eternal life. I'm going to be with him. And will heaven be wonderful? Yes. I don't know that it will be all that the poets have sometimes dreamt it would be, and I'm not sure that it will be um, as self-indulgent as sometimes we imagine it will be. But it will be wonderful to be with Christ to be with others whom I've known and loved who have gone before. It's not that long ago that my, my, my mother died, and I miss my mum immensely. And she'll be there because she too had trusted Christ and so many others. But I think I'll be caught up, not with them, but more the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the story in, in the Bible of a little girl who was raised back to life by Jesus. A father had come and said, oh, can you come please and see to my daughter? And then the news came that his daughter had died. And Jesus just said, look, trust in me. And eventually got to the place where the little girl's body was lying and there were professional mourners. And Jesus said, look, you, you go out. and the, She's not dead. She, 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 she's going to come back. And they all laughed at him. He sent these out. And he took with him the mother and father of the little girl, and three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, and he spoke to this girl, little girl, arise. And sure enough, she sat up. Life was given to her. And I've often wondered, who did she see first? Well, I'm sure it would have been Jesus. And who next? Well, I'm sure she saw her mum and dad. They would have been eager to be as close to her as possible. And then who after that? Well, there was Peter, James, and John. And maybe it's a little picture of heaven. I think we'll be taken up with Jesus, first of all. 
But those of us who've got relatives and loved ones who belong to him, yes, we'll see them. And then the great host of all the men and women throughout the ages whose sins have been forgiven, who've been made right with God because of what Jesus has done for them. Oh, I'm convinced of heaven, absolutely convinced of it. And it's not because I've had some sort of out-of-death uh, out-of-life experience, sorry. It's not, it's not because of that. Yet there is something within me that says, hmm, there is more to this life than just three score years and ten. But Jesus rose from the dead. He's the one who spoke about it. And God has revealed himself through the written word, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus. And with such authority, he's spoken of heaven that can be given to all those who will trust him. But hell... For those who say, no, he's not for me. I'll go my own way.